God's modeling this type of love for us. Therefore, what he's modeling for us is we are to pursue for ourselves. And the idea is real simple, right? In our brokenness and our sin and our frailty as a human being, we can never aspire to attain to that type of love. We know that, right? That's why in your talks, it's, it's so great. Use the word grace. Right? It used the word grace. There's any word you should ever, ever get a hold of in the Christian faith, it'd be the idea of grace. Because there's nothing you can do in your own strength, any value or any good, apart from God giving you the ability to do it. And so this morning as we dive into the understanding of, of being a father, being a dad, having a profound influence, it should, listen, if I, if I share God's heart, listen, men, please pay attention if you're over 18 and if you're under, and if you're under 18. If I don't share God's word well today, then it means you won't feel a weight with it. But if I share it well today, it will be weighty and feel too big for you. And that's when God, and you should go, I can't do that. And he goes, thank you for realizing your inability. It's called grace. I empower. I invest. I give myself. If you want to be a good dad, you have to be near me. You have to let me flow through you and in you and out of you and around you. You have to give yourself to me. So are we all on the same page there? If you, you should walk out of here feeling weights, and the only person who can make you feel lighter is Jesus. All right, we good? We're going to dive in? Men do this, please. Just let me see. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, we're going to dive in, all right? So the idea of God paints this picture for us of his perfect love and God calls us to, 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 to invest ourselves and to be fathers ourselves, right? God, God, is a, is a God is a father for us. He says, now I'm calling you to be a father. We see this picture in 1 Corinthians 4. I want you to see this from Paul, starting in verse 15. It says this, the 1 Corinthians 4, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers, but in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Let's press pause. God raised Paul up. God said, I'm here. I'm their father. I'm going to raise up an earthly father for the Corinthian church. And Paul, and Paul, you're going to be it. And Paul said, got it. And he says here in verse 16, because I'm your father, therefore, I urge you to imitate me. That should cause you to feel weight like that. He goes on. For this reason, I've sent you another father. I've sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. And so you get the picture here. There are three fathers named right here. We see God the Father, we see Paul the Father, and we see Timothy being sent by the Father. Do you see the three fathers named right here? God the Father, 
Paul the father. And now Timothy, the ambassador of Father Paul, being coming in and, and, and Timothy's going to live his life. And the idea is this. Timothy has been sent. And Paul says this. Therefore, since I am your father, just do what I do. And it will lead to your sanctification, it will lead to your holiness. It will lead to you being created to the image, designed and, and fashioned in the image of Christ. So fathers, you see what's happening right here. Paul has great influence, such great influence. He's saying, if you imitate me and imitate means what you think it means doing what you see somebody else do, mimicking them, right? You imitate me. And it will lead you to the image of Christ. Do what I do. Do what you see me do. Do what you hear me say that I'm going to do. The picture is God is our father, right? He puts us into relationship with fathers, earthly fathers, spiritual fathers, right? All of he puts us into relationship with fathers. And then he calls us to be fathers. So as we sit here today, we have God, our father, we have earthly fathers, we have spiritual fathers. And now he's saying to each of us, now I'm calling you to be a father, God, the father, Paul, the father, now Timothy going to be the father. And they say. Just do what I do. If you know the story of Paul. You know that he lived in obedience to Christ. He lived in complete surrender every day to Christ. You know, if you just go back and read some of his stuff. I mean, you just in the New Testament, most of it's written by him. You see a man who lived with a holy respect and reverence for God as Lord and sovereign over all things and control and completely obedient, listening, never taking steps without Father leading him. Right. This is what I'm talking about. Do what you see me doing. What's that? Well, putting God first, loving him and recognizing who he is in my life. But Paul gives us these words that, to be honest with you, are overwhelming. He says, imitate me. Do you see what imitate represents this this someone watching and doing an African uh, an African chief once said this a good example is the tallest kind of preaching. Right? A good example is the tallest kind of preaching. Another person said, children have never been very good at listening to their parents, but they have never failed to imitate them. Isn't that true? Listen, I had a great dad. I've told, I've told lots of stories about my mom and dad. I'm going to tell you, my, my dad was a great dad. My dad's a guy who worked hard for us. He provided for the family. Every day he told me he loved me. And finally one day I looked at him and says, Dad, why, listen, you know that I know that, that, that you love me. Why do you, I mean, why do you say it every day? I wasn't getting on to him. I really wanted to know why he said it every day. He said, because I've never heard my dad say it to me. And I committed that every day of your life I would let you know that I loved you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? But my dad was human. And like 
All of us in this room, sometimes we we get stressed out by life. And as hard as my dad may have tried, there were moments he brought that stress home and he maybe crossed a boundary he didn't want to cross. And he allowed anger to be expressed in our home. That's ever happened to you, I know. And I remember some very specific moments where he expressed anger. And never forget, he's a man who loved Jesus. He was imperfect, but he loved Jesus. I'll never forget him walking into my room. I remember three specific examples. I remember walking into my room, looking me in the eyes, and said, I, I need to apologize. I've sinned against God, I've sinned against your mom, and I've sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Let me tell you something. As a 12-year-old boy sitting in my room, and my dad modeling the act of repentance to his 12-year-old son, that was profound. Believe it or not, I have moments just like that in my own home. I remember just even several months, few months, a few months ago, I had one of those, one of those moments. And I had brought the girls, brought Anna, Catherine, and Sarah to the table, and they're kind of looking at me with those, what's Daddy going to say next? Eyes, right? Please tell me you all experienced that, right? And I just looked and said, girls, Anna, I think I told you, Anna kind of his favorite question to ask me about once a week Daddy, have you sinned today? <laughs> right? It's her favorite question. <laughs> and I'm like, never. Right? But I looked at her. I said, baby, you know when you were... So I looked at her. I said, baby, you know when you were... You asking that question about sinning? She's like, yeah. I said, I just sinned against mommy and I just sinned against you. And Sarah goes, whew, I thought I was in the wrong, Daddy, right? I said, no, it's all me. It's all me. Because in that, I'm, you can ask Randall, I'm not always perfect about asking for forgiveness, but I'm pretty quick to do it, and I'm pretty good at it. Why? Because I'm just imitating what I've seen my dad and his own brokenness and humanity do. Listen, it's one thing to sin. It's a whole other thing to repent when you do it. And so the idea for us as fathers that in our, in our good moments we're living a life that our children and others around us can imitate and in our sin and brokenness, how we respond in that moment is also something that people learn from and our children learn from. And so I'm saying to you today, if you took a ticket, God is expecting you to pursue a life that not only your children, but everyone around you who you influence, people who work for you, who in your neighborhood, that they can imitate you. And it leads them to Jesus. How? Well, not by a one, two, three step system I can sell you at a conference. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we give our lives every day humbly before him, seeking his face and saying, God, I can't be a father. Only you can be a father through me. 
See, that's what happens at Father's Day. I love Father's Day. In fact, I like it a lot more than Mother's Day. I love Mother's Day, and I love Father's Day. And I love it for the reasons you think. Yeah, I love waking up and Anna Catherine and Sarah come running down. Happy Father's Day. Here are your gifts. You're the best dad ever. But it also makes me sit back and I realize in the moment, I'm the only dad they'll ever have. And I need to live a life that they can imitate. And that makes me go, Jesus. Are you living a life your children can imitate and the people around you can imitate? I want to look this morning simply at three fathers. This, most of these stories you know well, so I don't have to spend a whole lot of time on them. But I want you to see three fathers from Scripture. We're going to, and I'm, going to, I'm going to name lessons that we learn from them. But I want you to recognize let, let, a lesson is something that you, you pursue asking God to bless you and grace you with it, Right? God, I'm asking that you make me a great father. Only you can do it. I'm pursuing him for it, but I know only he can do it, right? Scripture says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. That's our responsibility. And then Christ will shine on you everything that you need, right? So that's what I'm just recognizing this morning. There's a pursuit, but understanding only he can give it. So here are the three fathers. The first one is Abraham. Abraham, honestly, in religion, it's honestly, hear this, is the most important figure in world religion. More important than Jesus, more important than anybody else. Abraham is the most important person in world religion. Why? Because he's the father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. 90% of our world's religions found its birthplace in the person, the man of Abraham. Abraham is an unbelievably important character in the history of, of religion. And you know, Abraham was called by God. So I want you to leave this land, go to this one. And along the way, he, says, he tells him, he says, I want you to leave this land, go over here. And I, listen, and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And Abraham goes, awesome. I believe you. Faith. I believe you have faith that that's true. So we're going to go. And so along the way, right? And remember, don't forget. They're really old, right? He's really old. He and his wife, Sarah, are really old. They're just past their childbearing years, right? Like, that means they can't have kids, right? And so something supernatural happens. And so, so, all, and, so, and so it is so great. God's this great sense of humor says, and when he's born, you're going to call him Isaac because, Sarah, we heard you laughing, right? God said, you're going to, like, Sarah says, she hears him say, you're going to have a baby. And she goes, you're going to call him Isaac, so you'll always remember you laughed in the face of God, and I was right. Isn't that good? All right? That's the best. That's the God that's great to see humor in those moments, right? You're going to call him Isaac. And so sure enough, Isaac comes onto the scene. He's born, and Abraham loves him with everything inside of him. I would, I would venture to say, because Isaac being one, the fruit of God's promise, and second, being the son he's always dreamed of, I, my guess would be that Abraham loved Isaac more than he loved any other human being on the world, in the world. Maybe more than anything in the world. He loved Isaac. And so, as when Isaac reaches probably his teenage years, 
God comes along and decides to, to test him. And he says, I want to test you. I want, to, I want you to take your son, take him up to the mountain. I want you to place him on an altar and I want you to sacrifice him as worship to me. And, Abraham's, and Hebrews tells us that Abraham, Hebrews is beautiful. Abraham said, well, whether he, Paul talked about it, or it wasn't, it wasn't Paul, but whoever the writer of Hebrews said, was, said, Abraham just reckoned in his mind that if he died, he would just raise him back to life. Talk about faith. It's a beautiful picture, right? So anyway, so Abraham takes Isaac up there. He wraps him up, ties him up, right? Goes to, goes to kill him. And as the knife arises, he goes, Abraham, Abraham, whoa, 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 buddy. And he says this in verse 22, excuse me, verse 12 of chapter 22 of Genesis. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Testing always has in mind revealing the true core of what is in a person. And biblically speaking, it almost always, has, it almost always involves hardship, difficulty, persecution, right? And it exposes the heart and the motives that, that drive a person. Basically, the difficulty happens, it acts like a squeezing of you, and then what comes out, right? That's what testing does. And in this moment, right, for Abraham, the purpose of the testing was not to prove, was not so he could prove something that God didn't already know. God already knew what was going on in Abraham, didn't he? God is God. He knows all things. He's, he knows what's going on in the heart of Abraham. But testing in Scripture always has in mind proving what God already knows about a person. So instead, in the moment, he wants to awaken Abraham to the temptation that he's facing of allowing other things, even a good thing like the love he had for his son, to trump his primary love and relationship with God. That God will initiate a testing, God will initiate a hardship, God will initiate these difficult moments for the purpose of seeing, of proving to, in a sense, so that we've proven inside of us that we know, yes, God, you are most important. You are number one above all things. For fathers, listen, lesson number one, to live a life others can imitate. Nothing can be allowed to trump our relationship with God. Nothing can have a primary love of ours other than God. And so if we're going to live a life that others can imitate, if we're going to live a life that our children can imitate, do they live in the confidence, in this deep knowledge that your love for God is even stronger than the love you have for them? And the captain asked me all the time, Daddy, do you love me more than anything in the world? I said, I love you with everything I have in me, but I love God and I love your mommy more. And it's, only, and it's because God's called me to do that, that I love them and I love God with everything in me and I love your mommy and I love you with everything I have inside of me and I pray then God will I flesh that out so they see it second thing second second person second father is the prodigal father like everyone listen let's say something everyone's missed the story the story is not about the prodigal son 
the story is about the prodigal father. If you, if you were, if you, I, I spoke on this last Father's Day, so you can listen to the big whole message. But the story is actually about the father's love, this powerful, overwhelming love for a son who does not deserve to be loved because the son has mortally wounded the father. You remember the story? The son comes to the father and says, hey, I'm going to kind of paraphrase this just to kind of put it in our language because it's really tame seemingly for him because you don't understand. We don't, we don't understand Jewish culture well enough. But basically, the, come, the, son, the, the son comes and says this, Father, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I'm tired of living under your rule. I'm tired of working for you. You're dead to me. Give me half of what belongs to me. Give me my inheritance now because I can't wait till you die. I'm ready for you to die. Will you just go ahead and die? But if you're not going to die, I'm just going to go ahead and pretend like you are dead. Give me what belongs to me. And the father says, okay, I love you. Here. So the son goes off and we squanders all of it. We know the story, right? And we love the story. We tell all the time, especially when we're telling people about Jesus, because the story is about someone being far from God, being disconnected from God, the Father, right? Then at this moment of awakening to our sin, and then of asking forgiveness, and then being accepted back into the family. But, but the real winner, the real, the real crazy character in the story is the Father, He's the one who expresses the miracle, right? Verse uh, 20-24 of Luke 15. Read it like a fresh and anew and see through the eyes of the Father. But while he, the Son, was still a long way off, his Father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, ran to his Son like a fool, through and added that part just so you know, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I don't think it was a, like a nice, hello, son, forehead kiss. I mean, I think it's one of these, like, like a Jewish, you know, Jewish father really love on their kids. I mean, it's like a, all this kind of stuff, right? It's like those gross kind of kissy things, right? The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, hurry up, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, right? Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead. He's now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Henry Nouwen says this. Why talk so much about being like the son when the real question is, are you interested in being like the father? Do I want to be like the father? So I want to be not just the one who is being forgiven, but also the one who forgives, not just the one who is being welcomed home, but also the one who welcomes home, not just the one who receives compassion, but the one who offers it well. Is it easier to receive in this moment or is it easier to give? Or is it harder to receive or is it harder to give to someone who is mortally wounded you and told you they wish that you were dead. The great miracle of the story is the prodigal father. Because what we see in him is this patience. I love this, the King James, man. Call it what it really is. Long-suffering. They created the word patience to kind of tame it down. But man, 
Patience is long-suffering, right? A father who is patient in his love and long-suffering in his love for his wayward son. His response is beautiful. The miracle. I'm not going to make him earn it. I'm going to celebrate him. The lesson, lesson two, to live a life others can imitate You must love well by being willing to suffer long, forgive well, and celebrate victories. My, I, 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 talking to my dad, even how his dad raised him, I love my grandfather, but my my dad was raised in the context of guilt, not measuring up, always pushed, never quite measured up. That care was always right there in the reach, could never reach it, right? That's how his dad raised him. And a lot of us had that same type of father figure. We were propelled by guilt and condemnation, trying to measure up, com- competition, all this type of stuff. But the prodigal father comes in the moment, right? Here he is. Sin returns him in humility and brokenness. And he, op- he opens not only his arms, but his heart to him. He forgives him. And loves him fully. Are we modeling this for our children so they can imitate this? Not just how we love them, but how we love the people who mortally wound us, who live around us. The third father is Jairus. I'm going to read a little bit of his story in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 22, going to 24, then skipping down 35 through 36. Encourage you to read the whole chapter. You've, you've heard this story before. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. While Jesus was still speaking, still on his way, so he came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jairus was a Jewish, Jewish official, right? He was a man of position, of power, of prestige, of prominence and prosperity. He was a, a very dignified man. Everyone around him respected him because he was one of those men you just looked up to, right? He was one of those men that, he, that you could imitate him. He was one of those men that everyone aspired to be like. He was, he was a, a ruler, a, a Jewish official because the Jews around him liked him. They, they liked who he was. They liked what he represented. And so, so in this moment here, right, in this moment, Jairus has a, a dying daughter and he has, a, and he has a, a decision to make. Do I go with all of my buddies over here who don't like Jesus because he's a troublemaker? Or do I go with him? Do I, do I, do I turn from him or do I turn to him. And in this moment, Jairus has come to this place and he jettisons all dignity and pride. He falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Teacher, would you heal my daughter? And Jesus looks at him and sees faith. How do we know this? Well, as you continue on in the picture, Jesus comes to the house, this this dead daughter of Jairus. 
And he takes Peter, James, and John with him. And he takes Jairus and his wife. You can read the story for yourself in Luke 15. He takes Jairus and his wife. And he comes to the house. And back in the day, they had these professional mourners. They would come and just mourn for a season, right? Just weep and cry out and mourn, all this kind of stuff. And Jesus says, Jesus comes to them and says, Why are you mourning this little girl? Is just asleep. And the scripture tells us they began to laugh at Jesus. And Jesus says, Get out. I love that. That's what he does sometimes. He says, Get out. And he invites only those in who have the faith to believe because they obviously didn't, so they had to go. Peter, James, and John, Jairus and his wife, with great faith, step in. Jesus prays over her in Aramaic and the girl begins to breathe and comes back to life. You see, in the moment, Jesus removed from the house anyone who did not have faith. Jairus believed God. His faith was something that his daughter would be able to tell stories about for the rest of her life. Lesson three, to live a life others can imitate, faith and trust in Jesus must define our view of tragedy, hardship, suffering, a.k.a. life, as we humbly submit every area of our lives to him. Fathers, do you believe and trust God and make him your primary go to in the moment of hardship and difficulty in every area of your life? Can others around you imitate how you handle those moments and lead them to Christ's likeness? Why? Because we saw in the video, our children need us. And God says, I am your father. I've given you earthly fathers. And I am now calling you to be a father. I don't care if you're 18 and have no children or if you're 60 with 35 kids. The the expectation is the same. And you can't do it. But he can by grace through you. And when you succeed, we worship. And when we fail, we repent and then we worship recognizing that our children have seen imitated for them one who loves, follows, and is obedient to Jesus. And the expectation is for men is that you're living that life that your children and my children can imitate. Men, I will commit to Be the best Jesus Father I can be for your children. Will you commit to be the best Jesus Father you can be for my children? Let's pray. Father, we come this morning and we just celebrate the fact that we cannot be like you in our own strength. And you don't expect us to. But Father, you do desire to pour out grace into our lives in such a way, Jesus, 
that we begin to live lives that everyone around us can imitate and it will lead them to Christ's likeness. Father, thank you for sending Jesus so we would know what you want us to look like. And we thank you even more, even more, that you sent your Spirit to empower us to be like Him. We are your ambassadors. And our, as fathers today, we say, Jesus, help us. Help us. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.